You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at bethanynaz.org. You, you know the feeling I'm talking about when you like hurt yourself but you try to look cool and act like it didn't hurt? I just hit my shin with this thing and it really hurt bad. <laughs> but I just kept the face. You know, I didn't let you know. I didn't, you know. Hey, man, you're back. We missed you last week. Um, you can never leave again. You can't go out of town. That's it, okay? You just got to be here. And you got to sit on the front rows every Sunday. I love this. I preach better when you sit on the front rows. So fill the front rows. How awesome. Um, when, when, I, when I shared my sermon last week, I told you that when I was 19, I experienced a radical transformation in my life. I was born again by the grace of Jesus. I immediately felt a call to ministry. And I started going to a junior college in my hometown. I really hadn't been out of that little town very much in my life, and my worldview was pretty, pretty, pretty small. But I met a, a student at that junior college. His name was Shin. He was Asian. And one day, Shin told me that he was Buddhist. I really didn't know what a Buddhist was. I knew almost nothing about Buddhism, and so I started asking him about Buddhism. And so I remember in the conversation, I say to Shin, So, do you mean that you don't believe in God? And Shin looked up at me and he said, with a grin on his face, There is no God, only Buddha. I didn't know enough about Buddhism to know that it's a non-theistic religion. But I had never in my life had anybody say to me, or even introduce the idea or the concept to me, that God does not exist. And I had certainly not met anybody who said to me, I don't believe in God. So I want to ask you a question. How does it make you feel? I'm not asking you what you think. Okay. It's a big difference. How does it make you feel when somebody says to you, you cannot prove that God exists? How do you feel? Or why does the burden always lay on that side seemingly? Do you feel different if you ask, if I ask this question? You cannot prove that God does not exist. Or you cannot disprove the existence of God. Does that feel different to you? And so, when I think about this question, is there God? My mind immediately races to Romans chapter 1, where the Bible says, What is known about God is plain. What is known about God is really clear. You don't have to go digging and searching and looking. What is known about God is plain. What is known about God is clear. Why? Because the Bible says God has made it plain. So let me explain that. Do you eat at a restaurant here in Oklahoma City on occasion called Ted's Escondido? Oh, I know how to bring you guys alive. That's the most feedback I've had in here for a while. The tortillas are to die for. They're some of the best. Do you know what Escondido means? It does not mean Mexican restaurant, by the way, just to clear it up, okay? 
Escondido means hidden from one's view. It's like a hideout or a hideaway. And it makes sense that if you're going north on May, you will drive right past Ted's and never see it because it's hidden kind of down below, right? So that's, that's why they call it Ted's Escondido. All right. The words Escondido and God cannot exist in the same sentence. God is not hidden away. God is not in a hideout somewhere. And what Paul is saying when he says that what is known about God is plain because God has made it known. He is saying that God makes Himself known. God reveals Himself. God is not hiding out, playing hide and seek, and you're trying to find... No, 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 that's not the way it is. God reveals Himself. He makes Himself known to mankind. And so what is known about God is plain. Why? Because God makes Himself known to people. Man, I love that about God. God's existence is a fact. And Paul says his existence is realized in creation. And he talks in other places about how it is realized in the person of Jesus and how it is realized in the Word. And you could probably say yes, and in morality, and in intelligence, and in love, and a lot of other places. But we're going to stick with Romans 1 today, okay? So grab a Bible, flip it open if you will. You might even want to keep it open in front of you for a while this morning. And we'll start with verse 18. Not a pretty picture we got here. Paul is painting a picture to the Romans of kind of the sadness of humanity. And the sinfulness of humanity. And the fact that humanity has decided that in some places and times we don't even really acknowledge that God exists. And so let me, let me take you to these words starting with verse 18, chapter 1. Here we go. So, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So now listen to what he says. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Don't you love that sentence? God's invisible qualities, His qualities that you cannot see have been seen. Can you see them? Nope. Now you see them, right? Being understood from what has been made. He's talking about creation. So that people don't have any excuse. For although they knew God... They neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals. And reptiles. So this is God's word for us today. Okay? So we're talking about the big questions in life. And we've listed seven. Last week we talked about does life have purpose. Today we're talking about is, is there a God. Next week we talk about pain and suffering. Why does God allow that to happen in, in our lives? And we'll talk about 
Is the Bible reliable? And is Jesus really God? And can I have a personal relationship with God? And I would, I would offer you this thought this morning as we begin, okay? And that is that your responses to questions like those really is a summation of your religion. How you respond to those kinds of questions becomes your religion. Because all of those statements require a faith response. No matter what you believe, no matter who you are. Your responses to those big questions becomes your religion. Because all of those questions require some kind of faith response. So, if you ask someone, do you believe in God or is there a God? I think there are three possible answers to the question. Sometimes people answer no to the question, there is not a God. And so a a modern day example of that would be a known atheist whose name is Richard Dawkins. In 2006, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The Delusion of God. And so he seems to be very comfortable to say, I don't believe that God exists. I think another possible answer would be, I don't know. And so last week... I quoted to you from an astronomer whose name was Carl Sagan. And before Carl Sagan died, here's what he said. He said, an atheist who says there is no God obviously has evidence to prove the non-existence of God. I know of no such evidence. And so he professed himself to be agnostic. He said, I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if there is not a God. I don't know. And I think the third possible response to the question, is there a God, is yes, there is a God. And so if the first response is no, there's not a God, don't talk to me about a fairy tale of some old man with long white hair up in the sky, quit brainwashing people, he doesn't exist. I think a second response would be, maybe he does exist, maybe he doesn't exist, I don't know if God exists. And a third response would be, God exists because He has revealed Himself to me through creation, through His Word, through His Son, Jesus Christ, and in many other ways. I know that I know that I know there is a God. So, I think we go back to the passage, and here's what Paul says. He says, Men have been given sufficient evidence in regard to the existence of God. And so I think that a typical question would be, if men have been given sufficient evidence in regard to the existence of God, then why don't everybody believe in the existence of God? Why Are there any atheists in the world at all, or any agnostics? And Paul answers the question. And it's a question that seems a bit firm. It's, a quite, it's an answer, rather, that seems firm, and it, and it seems resolute. Paul says, the reason that everybody doesn't believe is because their hearts have become darkened and they have suppressed the truth. So I want to I talk to you for a few minutes here about this passage that I read to you in Romans 1, okay? And so let me, let me think like this with you. When I was a, when I was a kid... I would play a game called hide and seek. And so, Evie is sitting right here. Hi, Evie. Wave at me, okay? 
And so when I was doing greeting time, like everybody else was a while ago, I said, hey, good morning, Evie. And Evie, what did you say to me? She said, pickaboo. She gets down behind the seat where I can't see her, and then she pops back up. It, it, it's the idea of that. It's, 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 it's something that is hidden, and there's some kind of intrigue or some kind of excitement about something that you cannot see, and then all of a sudden, it be revealed. And so I love to do this. Like, sometimes it, I feel a little creepy doing it, but honestly, I still do it. So you go in a, a waiting room, like a hospital or a doctor's office, and there's a, a toddler on their mother's lap, you know, over across the room. And all you have to do is, if you catch that kid's eye, all you have to do is this right here. You just have to do this. And then go. You can entertain that kid for ten minutes. You know, and finally the mother catches you and you act like you're not doing it. But it's amazing when you just go... It's the idea of that which I cannot see being revealed. And a toddler goes. It's awesome. And so Paul says, since the creation of the world, you ready? God's invisible qualities are now clearly seen. His divine power and His eternal nature. And all of a sudden, God creates. And what do we see in creation? God's invisible qualities and His divine power and His eternal nature. So what what is He talking about? He's talking about the mountains. And He's talking about chasms. And He's talking about forests. And He's talking about oceans. And He's talking, frankly, about you. You're part of His creation. So what do, you, what do you think he's getting at here? Well, I'll tell you what he's getting at because he says it, okay? He says, therefore, men without excuse. Nobody has an excuse. Because when you look around and you see the universe, you see your world, you see this earth, you see one another, how can you not see the creative hand of God? So let me, let me talk about that a little bit, okay? Where is Miss Miranda? Are you back there? Is it Miranda? Do I even have the right name? Wave at me if I do or don't. Is that the right name? Come running, Miranda. This is the only time anybody is ever going to say to you that you can run in church, okay? So can you come running? That's not a run. That would be a walk, Miranda. It's not McKenna, no wonder. I'm sorry. Well, you can run up here, McKenna. I, I, I feel so bad that I got your, your name wrong. It's McKenna. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just kind of met you that one time before. You are a beautiful little girl. Do you know that? People tell you that all the time? Yes. I know, I get tired of hearing it too, but they understand. Okay, so, you going to help me with my sermon for a few minutes? Okay, so here's what I got. I got a deal for you. I need you to be the son, Okay. And so you can put your hands right there, and then you just kind of look through there, and you ready? Kind of hold it up really close to your face, like, like that right there. There you go. Kind of put your face out a little more. Yeah, there you go. Now, all you have to do is shine, okay? I bet you're really good at that, aren't you? Can you shine a little brighter? There we go. A little more. 
There we are. <laughs> so, so here's what, here's what we learn, maybe, maybe even in sixth grade. This is really basic stuff. But I think some people would say, I know what Paul said, but he did not have the advantage of modern science, right? But when I think about modern science, I think it only increases my understanding of what Paul was saying. So this is supposed to be the earth, okay? And you are the sun. And so here's what we know about our earth. Some really basic things is that we have an atmosphere. And it's, and it's a very thin layer, only about 50 miles thick. But because we have an atmosphere then we can sustain plant and animal and human life. Without it, that would be impossible. There is no other planet that we know of that has that, okay? That 50-mile thick thing that keeps us doing that. And they tell us, scientists tell us, that if the earth were just a little bit larger or a little bit smaller, that that would not be a possibility. What makes us unique to have an atmosphere to maintain the right mixture of gases and oxygen and so forth is the size of the earth, okay? And so... We have that, and so we have this wonderful thing called gravity, which we never, you know, go home and listen to the news at night, and they say, three people flew off the earth yesterday because, you know, gravity broke down in Montana. There's always gravity, and it's consistent, and it holds everybody on the earth, okay? And so, but here's what, here's what we learn, is that the earth rotates, face the crowd, rotates around the sun all the time. So, like, um, does your mom drive really fast? No? Like on the interstate, what would you say? Maybe 90 miles an hour or something like that? No, not that fast. Huh? 50. She's a good driver then. Yeah. So guess how fast the earth is moving as it rotates around the sun, McKenna. Do you have any idea how many miles an hour it's going? 64,000 miles an hour the earth is moving as it rotates around the sun and while it's moving at a speed of 64,000 miles an hour it is rotating on its axis to keep the earth evenly cooled and heated isn't that amazing 64,000 miles I'm getting dizzy just thinking about I didn't know we were moving that fast we need more hairspray so that was a bad joke and it's So, McKenna, I think it's pretty amazing. And here's the point. 64,000 miles an hour, what's rotating on its axis, and yet it remains the perfect distance from the sun. If it got closer, we would burn up. If it were further away, we would freeze to death. Who put this together? Did McKenna shine really bright? Did she do good? I got you some candy. Is that a good price? All right. Make sure, make sure you see your dentist, okay? All right. We're the right distance from the moon, and the moon is the right size to yield gravitational pull, which keeps the waters and our oceans moving and creates tides to keep them from being stagnant but does not allow them to spill onto our continents think about this speaking of water plants, animals, humans were made up mostly of water you are two thirds water and you know the purpose of the water in your body it keeps your temperature even in fluctuating temperatures whether it's 113 in Oklahoma on a hot summer day or whether it's 10 degrees on a cold winter day Our body temperatures stay at 9.6 because the water in our body maintains that temperature. The human brain 
is like no other organ. It has an intelligent side to it. It can reason. It can also feel. It can relate to other human beings. The eye can see seven million different colors. Scientists say we don't know how the universe came into existence. It was some kind of a flash, but we can't explain the flash. And I open the Bible, and I think I understand that flash of light when matter comes into existence because it says God created the heavens and the earth. How can all of this function as it does with no intelligent designer? And so when I look at science, it does not erase the words of the Apostle Paul. To me, it simply underlines them. Rick, how can I have faith? How can I find belief? I think it finds you. I think as you look around and you see this world, you see God. What is known about God is plain because God Himself has made it known. For since the creation of the world, His invisible qualities and His divine nature and His eternal power can be clearly seen. Just look around. We, we just, you know, became grandparents two months ago. And when we were at the hospital and little Sadie was being born, my mind was racing back to when my daughter Brittany was born. She was our, our first little baby girl born. And I remember being in the room when Brittany was born. And when I looked at her little face, the first time I ever saw her, I wasn't trying to think what thoughts should I have. Nothing like that. My, I, it was a very emotional moment. And I looked at her little face and I remember the, the thought that just consumed me was, how could anybody deny that God exists? How could this just happen? The miracle of birth. Everywhere I look, I see God. Paul says, look around. He's everywhere. So, if you get online and you start Googling, and you'll find that in the world... Most people believe in God. Somewhere between 80 and 85% we think would say yes to the question, do you believe in God? They would check the box under yes. 80 to 85, I mean 85 to 88% would say, I believe in God. In the United States, it's a little bit higher. 92 to 95% of people would say, yes, I believe in God. Most people believe in God. But when you think about how many people are on the planet, 7 billion, that's still a lot of people who say, I don't. Or I don't know. Two percent would be atheist in the world and in the U.S. as well. Two to three percent is what we see would consider themselves atheist. I don't believe in God. And the rest, of course, in between would be agnostic. I don't know. But of that 93 to 95 percent in the U.S. who says, I, I believe in God, many of them would say, I don't claim or see myself being religious. Words, words echoed in my mind throughout this past week as I was studying for this sermon from the psalmist who says, only a fool, only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
And so when we get to verse 21, Paul says, Although they knew God, they, they believed that God existed. They, they neither gave thanks to Him nor glorified Him with their lives. So although, although they believed in God, they believed there was a God, they believed God existed, they, they neither glorified Him with their lives nor gave thanks to Him. So there's a, there's a phrase that's become quite popular in the last few years. And even the Pope uses it on occasion. And the phrase is practical atheist. So you say, what is a practical atheist? A practical atheist would be someone who says, I believe in God. So if you're asking me, do I believe, I'm going to check the box where the yes is. So a practical atheist is someone who believes in God but lives their life as if he does not exist. I don't follow his commands. I don't pay attention to his teaching. I don't consult him before making decisions. I live my life to please myself, not him. And so that would be a practical atheist. I believe in God but I live my life as if he doesn't exist. And we say, Paul, what happened to these people? Why are these people living their lives as if God doesn't exist? Although they believe in God. And Paul says, because God has reached out to them, but their hearts have become darkened, and they have suppressed the truth. There is an enemy who is waging battle for your soul. So, let me just kind of wrap up here, okay? You say, what, why, is, why is all that important, what you just said? And, and I would take you back to the very first verse that I read to you, and that is that God's wrath is being revealed against all the wickedness and godlessness of this world. And what we do with information about God has eternal consequences. What we do with what we know about God, what we do with that, the choices we make, has eternal consequences. So you have the ability to live your life as if there is no God. Paying no attention to His commands or His decrees or to His will for your life. But that has consequences. Eternal consequences. So let me, just, let me just finish with this. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up what Paul is saying, and then we'll prepare to take communion together, okay? Paul is saying simply this. The question is not, does God exist? That is not the question. The question is not, is there a God? Paul says, we know there's a God. Since the creation of the world, His invisible qualities, His eternal powers, divine nature are clearly seen. The question is not, does God exist? We know God exists. Here's the question. Will you worship Him? Or will you exchange the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal men? The question is not, is there a God? The question is, will you give your life to Him? That's the question. That's what Paul is saying. 
So think with me for, for just a minute here as we prepare to accept the Lord's Supper. You might say, Rick, is creation kind of the, the crown jewel of God's revelation, you know? Um, and the same Paul who said all that I just said to you also said, the Son, meaning Jesus, is the image. You're going to love this, okay? The Son is the image of the invisible God. <laughs> You can't see God, but you can look at Jesus, and He is the image of the invisible God. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, He is the exact representation of His being. And God's greatest revelation of Himself is in Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus, the invisible God makes Himself known. And so Jesus says, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen God. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what Jesus says. If you have put your eyes on me, then you have seen the Father. You have seen God. And Jesus makes claims about himself that only God could make. He claims that he could forgive people of their sin, and that he could help people break the habits of sin, and that he could offer people abundant life, and that he could give people eternal life. And he did things that men could not do. He healed people and He made them walk again and made them see. And He healed people who were deaf and could not hear. And He healed people who could not speak and He let them speak. And one time, one time He walked on top of water. And one time He tells a raging storm, you should stop. And it stopped. And then He shows us this incredible picture of God. And He shows us that God is loving and God is compassionate and God is caring and God is forgiving and God wants more than anything else in the world a relationship with you. And so God does the unthinkable and He becomes a man. And He takes your sins upon Himself so that relationship can be restored. So that you can know Him. Because God is personal. And so in these next few moments, we are going to participate and take part in the very life of Jesus and therefore in the very life of God who became a man so that you could know Him. And so we have lots of people who are going to help us serve. So you guys, come and help us. And maybe all of us at this point could just stand together, okay? So in, in our church, when we, when we do this, there is a requirement. And you really, should, you really should listen closely. The requirement to participate in this act of communion would be that you are sincere in your heart. And so I believe that it's an act of recipient, uh, an act rather, where we receive grace. And so the, the only requirement that I would share with you today is that you are sincerely seeking God in your heart in this moment. And, and if you feel like I should not do this, then you can let it pass you, and that is no problem. So you receive a cup that is stacked on top of a cup, and you just simply take the cups apart, and you take the bread and put it in your hand. And after everybody is served, after everybody is served, then we will all eat and drink together. And in these moments, I believe that God can and will do amazing things in our hearts. Be amazed at the change that you see in your life 
after we participate in the Lord's Supper together. So once you've been served, you can hold them, and then everybody will eat and drink together in a few moments when I come back up to talk, okay? And um, if you say, I really wanted to come to the altar today, you're, you're still free to do that. You can bring your elements here. No problem. You're welcome to do that if you choose. and he took the bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples this is my body that is broken for you take it and eat it all of you then he takes the cup and he says this is my blood of the new covenant drink it and be thankful Father, that's what we fill in our hearts this morning. It's gratitude. To think that you have made yourself known to us through your creation, through your word, through your son, Jesus. And to think that you became a man and you took our sins upon yourself because you desired relationship with us. We are so grateful. So thankful. And so be worshipped in this moment, I pray. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing again. and We're going to worship with this song. And as you need to go, you just feel free to leave. Leave quietly as you do. Stay in worship. God will lead us as long as you like. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.